I'm going to invite you to turn to James chapter 1. Actually, it might be easier to turn to James chapter 2 and then back up a little bit. We'll be there in a moment. See, Amara is a programming note. See, Amara, we're going to cut it down to the second half, okay? So, uh, I know a guy who was a youth minister, and then he became a senior pastor. And that's always a little dangerous uh, because youth ministry concepts die hard with us as, as ministers and a little edgy sometimes. And so this youth minister was a little edgy. And he went to church uh, for, as, as the senior pastor. And he decided that uh, he would speak on the things that we're speaking of today, as a matter of fact. And uh, so he had gone back into the uh, tombs of the church. Okay, so we have closets and we have cabinets and all that stuff. By the way, one of the ways that we check up on you and your Bible study, your regular Bible study, is this when you leave your Bible here and it ends up in a closet and it's three years before you come looking for it, we kind of know that you're not doing a whole lot of Bible study. So he found a deal like that. Actually, he would go, went into the children's area and he found a Bible in there that were, was missing sections. I mean, you know, so it had been just kind of worked over by a kid and he said, that'll do perfectly. So he took that Bible, he went into church, he laid it on the pulpit, and he started talking about a working faith, a faith that works in real life. And he talked about the importance of grounding what you believe in Scripture. And so then he went to Scripture and he went to several different passages. And one of them was a Matthew chapter 15, I believe it is, or uh, where, where Jesus is talking about anger, and he says, so this is what Jesus says about anger, but we don't really do that. Matter of fact, we, some of us nurse our anger. And so he took that Bible and he took that page. We don't really believe that, and he just ripped it out of his Bible and threw it on the side. And he went to another one where it talked about how we talk. And, and he talked about gossip, and Scripture says that that's not what we should be engaged in as Christian people. And he looked at it, and he said, you know, we don't believe that either. So he took that page and he tore it out of his Bible and he threw it down on the floor. He did that with four or five different passages of Scripture. We don't really believe that. We don't practice that. So he tore it out of his Bible and said, we might as well not even have it in there. And he threw it down. He's not at that church anymore. <laughs> but here's how he finished that little introduction illustration. He said this, some of you are more upset that I tore pages out of a worn-out Bible than you are in the truth of what I said as I tore them out. So I have a few verses I want us to look at. I'm not going to tear any Bible's pages out. Does your faith work? In your day-to-day -day life, what you say you believe, does it actually work and how do you how do you measure that really we have measurements we, we're, a, we're a society that is fascinated with measuring if I want to do some woodworking and I get this board and I need it to be this long if I cut it to be this long without measuring it chances are good that I'm gonna ruin that as something I can use for my project and so I take out a tape measure and I stretch it across and I know exactly what it needs to be and I mark it and I cut accordingly we love to measure stuff like boards we also measure gasoline. Every one of you, if you drove to church today or rode in a vehicle of some kind and you keep the maintenance up on that, you probably have a fuel gauge 
that lets you know just how much gas you have left. We love to measure stuff. How do we measure belief? Especially how do we measure belief in Jesus Christ, that faith part of our lives? We come to James chapter 1, and we've been working our way into and deeper into, and now we're going to work our way out of James chapter 1. And I want to back up and read from verse 19 to the end of the chapter. And here's what James has to say. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What does a working faith look like? How do we measure our belief level in God? So James gives us this picture. There's actually four different ones of these. I probably only have time to get to two of them this morning, but there'll be two that'll be enough for us to work on as we go through the the coming week. The first one's coming in verses 19 and 20. But before I read those again, let me come back and talk a little bit about what anger does in our spiritual lives. What does a working faith look like? Well, one of the things a working faith does is it keeps anger in check. I know that I've used this illustration here before, but there are many of us here who were not then, not here then. And uh, it is my all-time, you know, I'm a recovering angerholic, so I have thousands of anger examples I could use, but I like this one best of all. And it does not come out of my own life, so that makes it better. But there was a, a man who was wanting to teach his son about the danger of unchecked anger. And so this was an old illustration, by the way, because, and you'll know this because he involved a rotary phone or a, one of those punch phones that we used to have at the houses, uh, and it also involved the phone book. And so he, he took his son, who was kind of moving into his teenage years, and he, he just said, anger is not acceptable. You got to keep it in check. He said, let me show you what I mean by that. So he took that phone book. He chose a number at random out of the phone book. He sat down and he punched the numbers, and as the rang on the other end of it, somebody picked it up, and the guy said, uh, yeah, this is uh, a call, I'm looking for Daryl, is Daryl there? And the person very politely said, no, I think you probably have the wrong number, there's no Daryl that lives here. And he said, oh, okay, sorry, and he hung up. And he looked at his son, he said, did you sense any anger in that person's voice? He said, no, Dad, I did not. And he said, well, let's, let's see what happens. And so he picked it up, he dialed the same number again. And when they answered the phone, he said, yeah, I'm calling for Daryl. Is Daryl there? 
And the person on the other side, a little more tense this time, said, uh, no, there is no Daryl that lives here. You have the wrong number. And so he hung up, asked his son to give kind of a debriefing of what he had just heard. He said, well, it still didn't, didn't sound angry, Dad. He said, okay, let's see what happens. He picks up the phone again, calls the same number. This time when they answer, he says, can I speak to Daryl, please? And that person said, look, I told you there is no Daryl that lives here. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, and he hung up. And his son began to pick it up, right? And uh, he said, so, so let's, try, let's try again. So he picked it up, called again, same number, said, I'm looking for Daryl. Is he back yet? And the person on the other side went off. I told you, you stop calling here. He said, I'm terribly sorry. They hung up. And his father said to his son, now, now I want you to learn the difference between anger and rage. <laughs> so he picked up the phone. He called the same number again. And this time when they answered, they immediately said, I told you. And the guy said, I'm not sure what you're talking about. This is Daryl. Have there been any calls for me? <laughs> you see why that's my favorite one? So in James 1, 19 and 20, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 19 gives us the teaching point. Verse 20 gives us the basis for it. And James is saying in no uncertain terms, if you want to have a working faith, you've got to check your anger. Because it is not conducive to the will of God in your life. Some of us in here have real anger issues. And the fact that I just called you out makes you mad. Let me remind you, nobody has the power to make you mad. It is always a personal choice. Nobody can make you mad. You choose to go there. Some of us, if you happen to be a, a recovering angerholic, or at least should be a recovering angerholic, some of us jump at the chance to get mad because we love the energy of the emotion. Hear me say, it does not accomplish the will of God. So working faith looks like someone who holds their anger in check. Let's quickly go to the second one that he has for us, and this is not only you have to hold your anger in check, you also have to hold your tongue in check. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that how you talk speaks to the viability of your faith. In other words, Jesus says this over in chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. I don't have time to go to it. But essentially what Jesus says there is it's out of the overflow of the heart that our mouth speaks. In other words, what you say reveals something about how your heart condition is. When I was a young teenager, I did not care about the Lord really. I was living my life kind of like Scott was saying. I was doing my own thing, you know. 
Uh, by the way, thank you for that message, brother. I appreciate it very much. Um, and one morning I woke up and I was in trouble, and I knew I was in trouble, but I couldn't figure out why. I mean, look at me. How, how could I be in trouble, right? <laughs> and my mom had an attitude. Now, I wanted to check her attitude, but I knew that my dad would kill me if I did that, so I just kind of let it go until finally it was all my mom could take, and she said, do you want to know what you did last night? And I thought, I know I wasn't out doing anything wrong. How do you answer that question, by the way? Do you want to know what you did last night? I don't think I do want to know what I did last night. So I woke my mom and dad up. I was talking in my sleep. Actually, I was yelling in my sleep. And I was yelling curse words. My dad's a pastor. You remember that? My mother <laughs> was the enforcer. And so I got this long, long discussion with my mom about how I was talking. She said, you don't just think up those words in your sleep. That tells me that you, the fact that you were yelling those things enough to wake us up and hearing those words tells me that you talk like that all the time at school. And you know what? She was right. Your words tell people about how believable your faith is. And so James calls us on that. Check your anger, check your tongue, and then he talks about appropriate caregiving, and I'll have to stop with this one. But let me just take you to verse 27, the first part of it. And here's what he says, religion that is pure and undefiled. By the way, he's picking up on that last part of the previous verse about the tongue, right? He deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. And now he says, the religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That widows and orphans is an interesting and a really important statement that he makes. He identifies that most vulnerable section of first century Jewish life. For, to be a widow without, but we could, you could go back and read the book of Ruth, and even though it's two totally different time periods in the history of Israel, you could go back and read that and understand something about the, the position, the lot in life of, of a widow who had nobody to redeem her back like a kinsman redeemer as we find there. And so widows, it was a tough, tough life. And orphans were just as bad or even worse. So James picks out this most marginalized part of their society, and he then says, you're, I'm going to put it in my words, not his, but essentially he's saying that if you have a faith that works, then it will work on the margins of society. There's a whole sermon and a half in that one statement in 21st century American life, especially life on the border. So I'm going to have to leave it there for now. We'll come back and pick it up some other time perhaps. But I want us to, to, to understand all together and we hear it together that we must prioritize the resources that God has given us in a way that ministers to those on the margins of society. Our world, is American society, is so black and white. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about racial colors. I'm talking about the way we see things. And I'm not even talking about the morality of it. I'm talking about politically and otherwise. Either you're this or you're wrong. 
And we don't have time for the discussions because we like shooting each other too much. And so in the midst of that, what we find, the faith that works looks at people and sees the creation of God and says, I will step into your need with you. Wow. That's like this open-ended responsibility. James is saying to a church in the first century that's trying to figure out theology. They, they, they know about Jesus and they've walked and trusted him. And James is writing and he's saying to them, this has to work. This is not just some awareness level you have of Scripture. Which gets me to where I was going to start. And that is there is a difference, a world a difference between biblical literacy and Christianity. Biblical literacy essentially says, I know what Scripture says. So, Bible knowledge begins to get folded into that. So, Bible knowledge is said, let me just give you a quick test. You don't have to answer out loud. Okay, quick test. What are the two major divisions of the Bible? And we know it's Old Testament, New Testament. Okay, that's Bible knowledge, Bible literacy. If we want to know something about the, the life of Jesus, where would we go in our Bible to figure that out? And the answer to that is the four Gospels. See, that's all Bible knowledge. But if all you have is Bible knowledge, it is no guarantee that you have a working faith because you have to put it to work. We're committed, please hear me, we are committed here to help you gain Bible knowledge. We are committed here to nudge you or shove you, if necessary, into a faith that works. Because this world doesn't need more Bible knowledge as much as it needs Christians whose faith works. So how do you measure your faith? Does it work? Work it. Let's pray. And as we pray, let me just say, if you're here today, and this is kind of a new concept to you, don't really know about this Jesus stuff, but you're here today because you either got something going on that caused you, maybe church can help, or maybe you're here today because just felt like God was drawing you here. But if you don't know Jesus Christ on a personal level, the first step of a faith that works is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You're not going to ever fix all of your problems because the biggest problem you have is separation from a holy God because of the sin nature we're born with, because of the way we want to be God in our own lives. And so we have to come to that point to recognize that sin separates us from God. Jesus Christ is the only way that we come back to God and his design for us. So if you don't know Jesus in that way, then that's the first step for a working faith is get it placed in Jesus Christ. And maybe God's doing something else with you and you don't really know what to do with that. So this invitation time is really kind of for you to be able to act on that. And I'd be happy to pray with you. We can set up a time to talk if you don't have time. But that's part of what this is about. Maybe God's calling you to work in this church as a member here and you want to move your membership, that's fine. We'd love to have you. We're, we're just wanting to serve the Lord and to help transform this community to the glory of God. Whatever God's dealing with you about, maybe you just need prayer. 
this invitation is for you. So, Father, we ask you to take this time now and be honored in it. Your spirit would have freedom to work and draw us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.